What's new listeners? I'm Arthur Howell, the host of Two Cents Critic. If you want to move for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. This is week three of Pride Month on Two Cents Critic, where we're diving into queer media throughout all of June. And on this third episode of this month, we're covering the 1994 Australian queer road trip comedy, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And stopping by for this movie talk is Ryan Kenny, host of the horror podcast, Brother Gordish's Tomb. Say hello, Ryan. Hey, everyone. And thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about this movie. Me too. Me too. And I was telling you this before that I've been looking at this movie for a while, been wanting to watch it. And as I'm exploring work for cinema, and I'm glad to have you on for this discussion. And actually, I found you through uh, Horror Queers when you were talking about Ganja and Hess. I could have you on. Yeah, like, I'm excited to talk about it, um, too, because this was my first time seeing it as well. Even though, when I was watching it, there were certain scenes that I had seen before. So I was like, maybe I did see it when I was younger, but forgot, or maybe I caught it, like, in pieces. Maybe, like, you know how sometimes when you're hanging out at home and, like, the movie comes on TV? I was like, maybe I have, but I, I wasn't able to, like, really understand it like I did this time around. So I'm I'm chomping at the bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But and before I get into the movie, though, do you just want to introduce yourself a little to our listeners, you and your podcast? Yeah, sure. My name's Ryan Kinney. Um, I go by Brother Ghoulish in certain circles. Um, all my handles on social media are at Brother Ghoulish for that reason. I am a podcaster um, and horror content creator in general and also an author. So I just love the horror genre. I like creating new horror stories and I like basically talking about anything within the genre. So even if there are things that I experience that I feel could be like stronger, I like to speak on those things as well, just because if we use our voice to talk about horror media, I think it helps, you know, move things in the right direction. There are certain voices that get underrepresented over time, you know? That's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. And especially as someone, I myself have been diving into more horror as of late. Like, I feel like over the past year or so, I've been watching more horror, seeing it more often. Yeah, horror is such a nice catharsis because, like, when you're watching the person on the screen go through the stuff and you're, like, either rooting for them if they're a good person or they're a bad person, you see them get it. It's like horror is the perfect place for both those things to happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it helps us release our anxieties. Yeah. Now, we're, not, we're not going through terrifying crap for watching on screen. Right. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> All right, so, again, thank you so much again for coming on here because now we're going we're gonna to get into the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I'll be giving a bit of a trivia first and say that this was written and directed by Stephen Elliott, who hasn't done much else that has gotten like the international recognition that this movie has gained. But he has, for example, like he directed the 1993 movie Frauds, starring Phil Collins. He also worked with Guy Pearce again. It was because Guy Pearce was one of the stars in this movie. He also worked with Guy Pearce again in 2018's Swinging Safari. There was a, a 2008 rom-com, Easy Virtue, that he directed and it starred Jessica Biel, Ben Barnes, Kristen Scott Thomas, and Colin First. So he's, he's been c- continuing to work, but if we're talking about like things that have got, again, like international fame, it is this movie, Priscilla. Oh yeah, this is definitely, it feels like it, probably his biggest project, um, oh, yeah. even to date. Yeah, we're, we're even with some of the stuff that like we, and I'm pretty sure we're going to unpack a lot of it, even with some of the recent controversy that has come up around the film, it still perseveres. And I really like a lot of the stuff that he has kind of like said 
in response to it. So I I, I think I can't wait. I'm I'm, I'm gonna be patient. We're gonna go through the yes. <laughs> step to step. Yes. And uh, the budget for this movie was two million dollars. Was it's like damn, that is small. <laughs> I mean, granted, yeah. granted, this what this did come out back in 1994, but still, even back then, so small. And it made eleven point two million dollars at the uh, domestic box office, and then it had a worldwide total of twenty nine point seven million dollars, U.S. dollars. So quite a bit to make against two million dollar budgets, and just yeah, for real. And it's all, and it's won an Oscar for best costume design at the sixty seventh Academy Awards. So it even has the Oscar fame attached to it, which is. Uh, which is definitely deserved. Like the costumes in this, it's like damn, they are just like wild over the top. I, I love the costumes here. I love the costumes too. Like you said, it it's one thousand percent well deserved. Like even like the little sandal dress or whatever. When I was looking up the facts on like one of the movies, they said it only cost seven bucks. But I've seen this look recreated so many times by drag queens. I've mm-hmm. seen. I mean, it's just. The film's like wardrobe is just out of this world. Very inspirational. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's pretty much all of the trivia I have to offer at this moment since the beginning of this podcast. So let's just get into our general thoughts and feelings now on Priscilla. So Ryan, what do you think? So what I think about Priscilla is, be- I think because I'm seeing it so much later in life, there are so many other queer films that I have seen that made the beginning of this feel a little like rocky for me right because i'm like "Mm, i know a lot of these are like straight actors playing you know queer people and that's that's very awkward for me and so i didn't know how i would feel about the movie but it's just so charming and i think the writing is actually so brilliant in most of it that my overall opinion is that i do really love this film and i do think that um even with some of its misgivings it's just it's just an iconic film and it has a lot of really good stuff going on for it at the same time. It's definitely like taking good with the bad when it comes to all old media anyway, because you know, a lot of the movies that like inspire and that we fall in love with, when we really hold it up to today's lens, a lot of the filmmakers at the time they just weren't thinking about some of this stuff. Yeah. So 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 some so you know, of the material doesn't age well, it can be outdated, it makes us go, <laughs> Oh dear, why do you have to include that little bit? Yeah. Exactly. Like there were parts I was cringing at because I'm like, this movie's so good, but like if this one piece could just be reworked, it would be better. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, overall, I mean, I love it to be honest. Like, and I mean, who's your favorite character? I think mine was probably Bernadette. Like, I just fell in love with Bernadette. Uh, you know, Bernadette, I oh, I'm gonna lean towards Bernadette at this moment because I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about this before, but I would say Bernadette right now because I feel like she really gives this movie so much heart, so much of the warmth. Yeah. And just, uh, just yeah, such a, a lively character in the story and played wonderfully by Karen Stamp. And in yes. general, even like, even like, I feel like just generally just the three leads. I mean, Hugo Weaving, Guy Pierce, Taylor Stamp, I feel like they all really just de- devoted themselves to these roles, which was great yeah. to see. I wonder if, um, because I was having trouble finding this information, like, I wonder if they spoke to queer people in preparation for their roles. Like, I can't really tell, but um, I felt like the depictions weren't 
at least from, and I know everyone's like view is like different, right? But I didn't really find the depictions to be very disrespectful. They felt like they understood what people go through in our community, but they didn't want to give us like trauma porn. So when we got to those moments that they could be really serious, I'll use a, a example with when we get the flashback to Adam's youth and the uncle is clearly propositioning him for something very inappropriate. We jump out of that moment and we see him take it back and say, no, you're not going to do this to me. And I really love that moment because otherwise it could have just been a lot of the same stuff that we typically see where it's just gay people's hurt for entertainment, but they didn't do that. And so it's like, it's like a, a nice laugh. Like you laugh through it and you're like, Oh wow. Like look at how he subverted that. And it just makes me think the writer is just like, they actually cared about the people they were talking about. Like, that's the vibe I got. Definitely. We'll be diving into more of that, yes. Definitely the plot breakdown. But for, I guess, my my general thoughts and feelings on this movie, I, again, I I I had my eye on this for a while, and I've been, you know, watching work for cinema. And going into this, I did know ahead of time about uh, racist and sexist stereotypes that is portrayed for one of the minor characters. I didn't know about that going in. I also didn't know about the whole death naming, running gag in oh, the movie. Yeah. So I, I, again, I knew about that, so I was prepared for that. And then I went into the movie, and I just really had a good time with it. I was really enjoying yeah. <laughs> how how loving it is towards the, towards this, the queer community and towards the characters specifically in this movie. Which is going into the world and living out their lives, and it doesn't particularly feel like I, I don't know. I feel like there are some some movies, some queer movies that you can feel like they're trying to appeal to a straight audience. You can feel that sometimes, and I don't feel like that was particularly happening here. It just felt like you we were going into their lives. And for a movie that came out in 1994, particularly, it feels so positive just overall, just so upbeat and is not particularly trying to be like oh you know queer tragedy you know all that yeah. you know all, all that you know grief the trauma oh dear and the movie <laughs> isn't focusing on that it is just taking us into the into the environment and the, the actors like i said before i think the actors were definitely committing to themselves to the to these roles i don't think they're being disrespectful at all i think they're just really and really just a just enmeshing with the characters. And although I, I would say, so so apparently I was looking this up, and apparently Terrence Stamp, he did talk about how he had gotten the character by imagining himself as a beautiful woman. But apparently, Steph, but apparently Stephen Elliott told Brian J. Vahenny, the cinematographer, to make Terrence Stamp look, at, look like horrible. Just make him look as horrible as possible while playing the character of Bernadette. And then Stamp apparently never saw his dailies. So he, ne- so he had no idea how he looked until the premiere. And I guess Bernie apologized to, to Stamp after the premiere. But which is weird because I, I, saw, I, I, I saw Bernadette. I saw Bernadette look like, uh, like great in the movie. I don't know. Which is... Yeah. Wait, but let me be clear. So, because I felt like Bernadette's hair was sitting. The wardrobe was looking really cute and appropriate. I, that's interesting. Yeah. That they, they wanted the Bernadette to look as horrible as possible. But then again, I might be a bit biased because I um I appreciate like beauty of many different expressions. Yeah. Like um even if someone is like a trans woman and they have like more masculine features or whatever, yeah. it, or even just a biological woman in general, I don't I don't 
you know, see that as like, oh, this person looks horrible. Like, it's just, I don't know. I like, I like androgyny. I like gender um, bleeding between lines and things like that. So, but I thought Bernadette looked fine, in my opinion. But I don't know. Let me be careful. (laughs) I mean, and yeah. And also, you have to also acknowledge, too, that not all trans people can afford to get a gender reassignment surgery. If they, if they want oh, to, sometimes true. they can't afford that. You know, so it is, yeah, it, it, it was funny. It was funny hearing about that. But again, I don't know. I don't know why the director, I don't know why the director is like that. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, so the actors and the visuals. And I don't know, even like I did, I, I did like cinematography as well. I, I thought cinematography was great too. Adding the visual flair to the movie, which already has so many visuals going on with the costumes, and you have the even the even Priscilla, the tour bus that they're driving in, and you've got even the the giant silver stiletto heels on top of the on top of Priscilla. The cinematography helped make it feel more immersive. It felt real because of just how unconventional a lot of the shots were. Like, even when you think about how there are scenes where you open up, like, it feels like um, Adam was inside of, like, this coffin, almost, that he was sleeping in. Like, you know, when they would open it up and then the camera would be, like, panning down on him. Like, the shots were very unconventional. The The desert picnic scene, like... It's just so flamboyant, and I love that. It just felt like a, a theatrical experience. Oh yeah, without a doubt, yes, yes, and and even the music, you know, I thought this had a great soundtrack too, and just listening to all the songs, you know, that add your own energy to the movie. And then also, like, it's it's funny watching this movie, watching it before Hugo Weaving was in The Matrix and Lord of the Rings, and then for, for Guy Pierce, he's in the movie. Before, like this, this was this was his breakout role. This was what launched him to his own career of international fame. It you know before LA Confidential, before Memento. So it's really nice to see him here. And I feel like uh, it's it's funny. I I was recently looking him up, and apparently IndieWire named him like one of the best actors to have never received an Academy Award nomination. Which is such a, fun, that's a, that's such a funny thing to give to someone. Like, oh, you're so good, but you don't have an Oscar nomination yet. <laughs> it's kind of like, am I supposed to take that as a compliment or an insult? You know what? I'm going to say it's a shame when that happens. I think because there's a few people who fit in that boat for me. Like, I think about, I was talking about Angela Bassett uh, recently on a few things where it just kind of feels like she's in a similar boat where she doesn't really get as much recognition for all the serve that she's been giving us since the dawn of time. But I don't know these people who kind of don't get the recognition. We know the truth. The fans know we We consecrate. them. (laughs) We know. I mean, as for for guy specifically, he's been like, uh, I'm excited for to see him and David Cronenberg's next movie. So the shroud. Oh, I didn't know he was going to be in it. Um, wait, the Shroud. You said I don't think I've heard about this film. Yeah, it's uh, it's just with uh, Vincent Cassel, Guy Pierce. Mm-hmm. Wait, who is it? Oh, just the Shroud. Okay, wait, just oh Diane Kruger. Yeah, Diane Kruger will be in it as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. I I need to keep that on my um radar. The Shroud. Because after Crimes of the Future, I've been wanting Cronenberg to cre- uh, creep back in. Yeah, Crimes of the Future, that's right. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit as well. And I've been, in general, wanting to explore more of Cronenberg's work, both the dad and the son. 
Oh yeah, oh. his son is definitely cut from the same cloth. I'll tell you that. After have after having watched uh plus out so recently and Infinity Pool, yes, I can say that. So I need to watch Anti Viral <laughs> though. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Yes. <laughs> but okay, so aside, you know, I've been praising the movie, but I would also add again the racist and sexist stereotype for the minor character, which and then that naming gag is like. Those things are necessary. I think we've been, you know, we've been making making that clear already. We to say that especially not necessary. It's just, it feels weird to see those things happen in a movie that is so generally positive towards a queer community, and then it's like we have these other things where it's like, hmm, this feels strangely gross. It's a uh, out of place in a movie, even though like uh, for the dead naming gag specifically, like it happens, but. It's not as if the movie just doesn't fly by. Like, we'll have characters push back against it when it happens, particularly Bernadette pushes back against it. So, it's like, the movie acknowledges that it can piss you off, but, like, it still does it. It's just, it's, it's weird. It's strange. Yeah, you, yeah, I, I agree. It is weird. Um, I do like, like you said, how we see Bernadette immediately say, no, this is not acceptable behavior, and then just, like, you know, really go to town on Adam for trying it. But um, I think, the whole dead naming gag and stuff like I've uh, growing up in the DC circle when I would um, be around women who were trans, I would see it happen like in real life. And like, this is something that, mm. you know, is not acceptable. And you learn for, you know, you learn very early that people will try it, but they are not the ones to try it with. So without the context, I don't think this should be, you know, used in new media. Like if there's anyone watching this film and they're a filmmaker, an aspiring filmmaker, they, they, they don't use it. We yeah. need to leave that in the past. You know, this film was in the 94. Exactly. It's- I feel like in the 90s, I, in, the, in the 90s, I can't see how in the 90s this could be thrown yeah. around casually. Maybe I can see, you know, queer people doing it, doing it themselves in the, in the 90s. But now, like we can, we can yes. watch the movie and all that happens. But also, let's not let's not uh, redo it. You know. Yeah, let's leave that in the past. That naming is and not good. If you do that naming now, not. you're an asshole. <laughs> Period. And then the racism and sexism. It's strange how the movie takes definitely views that in such a negative light. And we'll, we'll talk more about that character mm-hmm. when she pops up. But it's just it's just funny for that as well. As well. Yeah, that one broke my heart. I don't have. I can't wait to get to that part because I do have a lot to say. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, and um, I think that's pretty much all of the general thoughts and feelings I have. Like I can offer at the moment. Oh, also, oh, I guess I'll say that I'll say right now that the, the primary choice when doing the movie was uh, Tony Curtis to cast for the role of Bernadette, who actually oh, had yeah. read and approved of the script, but then ended up coming unavailable. Oh, I didn't know that. Wait, which is funny because also Tony Curtis was in Some Like It Hot. So it was the old oh, yeah. similar subject matter, but well, I, I, I still need to see that. It's on my watch list, but it's funny. I, I, I'm I, happy with Terrence Stamp here in the role, but still it would have been funny to also think like, hmm, what if Tony Curtis was in the movie? Yeah, yeah in an alternate universe. I, I'd pay to see that. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, then, okay, okay, and then one more thing I would say before I forget a I think the issue of straight men like playing queer roles or a cis man, as in Terrence Stamp playing Bernadette, a trans woman, I think that's also something that again, it, it's not it's not egregious. I would say like the like the 
racist and sexism and death naming is something you can see happening back in the 90s, even honestly the, the 2000s, you know? But yeah, I, I feel like yeah, now, I'll say, I'll, say, I'll, say, I'll say particularly for a trans character, particularly now for yeah. trans characters especially, you want a trans actor to play trans characters. So. Yeah, you want the people being represented to actually benefit from the role like that's being um assigned like um so that their stories are like being maintained but you know what's interesting though i was so because that's the first place my mind went to right but then as i was watching it um there are a few drag queens who are like straight men and it's something that we don't talk about a lot but um it made me wonder and god i hope they don't hear me and and remake this movie because i don't know how that would go but in the event that the remake gods revisit this it would be interesting to see it from the perspective of someone who's not necessarily like a gay man but maybe someone who's like pansexual or someone who is who does identify as straight but still does perform drag you even think about in like the mainstream right how maddie morphosis from rupaul's drag race is a straight man how i believe disasterina from um from dragula is also a straight man with kids and stuff i believe she has kids um and, you know, it happens. And then there are even gay men with children who are performing drag who could get opportunities like this, too. Um, like Tyra Sanchez, who I know she's been canceled to death. But, um, you know, th- there's just such an expression. Like, these antiquated views of, like, gay people just being, like, kind of, like, one way or straight people being one way are just rapidly changing. Like, everyone is open to perform drag. And um, the family dynamic is just so different for so many different people. So, I mean, I just want, I don't know. I don't, that was a rant. I don't know if that had anything to do with anything. No, but yeah, it, it's gonna, it, <laughs> I go on rants sometimes. You know, honestly, I actually do. I, I want that to happen here because I want to say I myself, I'm not like, I'm not a drag expert. Like I don't, I don't watch drag race. I have friends who do. Like I, even I'm in my, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a, a, a film discord server I'm in. I've got a few friends who talk about drag race on there and I'll watch, I'll watch their conversations and I hear, I see I see drag, you know, race happen. On, you know, I see conversations happen online, uh, but I'm not like an expert myself. So, you know, if you, have, if you have any extra information to offer on that, you know, please feel free to offer that. But that, I don't, you know, no, not a remake. No, I don't. I don't. I, I don't want to see that happen personally. But what you're saying about a filmmaker who comes at it from maybe a pan perspective or something like that. It's, it's intriguing, it's eye-catching, and I will, I will say that Stephen Elliott actually did come out as gay during a parody yeah. presentation at the inaugural actor awards back in 2012. And apparently was in a relationship with his partner since the late 1980s. Yeah. Which, again, it's really interesting to, see, to think about this movie, again, coming back and coming out back into the 90s. And I myself, like, I'm, I'm almost 25, and I feel like I've been growing up in a pretty, like, I grew up in a pretty, like, queer, allied household. And I myself, I'm, I'm cishet. And then... I do have to remind myself, like, hey, there was a very, very long time before I was born when, when, when even just saying the word queer was just like, oh, get away, get away. And it's just like, well, you know, it's just like there's such a stain around it. And it's like, it would be groundbreaking for a movie like this to come out back in 1994 when issues were much, much stricter, so much more conservative. And now there's more support, even though more hate getting spewed out as well, but at least there's more support and more open spaces like, to fight back against the, the drag bans and uh, homophobia and transphobia and Ron DeSantis. Oh, look. <laughs> yeah, <just> like, <sighs> I hear you. I do. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so I guess we've been talking about our general thoughts and feelings now in the movie. So let's mm-hmm. give our wind-up scores. Now this is a score that ranges from 0 to 100. So, Ryan, your wind-up score mm-hmm. for Priscilla. Hmm, from 0 to 100. I w- you know what? I would... It would be favorable. So maybe like in the 80th percentile, so it's like maybe like 80, 85. Like, I do like the film. Um, You know, all the problematic stuff that's in it does knock it down a bit. I can contextualize it because of the time period. But, you know, we don't want to see more straight guys playing queer roles. We we don't want to see these racist and sexist caricatures. Um, So those things need to need to be handled. So, yeah, maybe like a, you know what, 80. I would say 80 then. Yeah. I'm, it's, it's funny, I'm going to give 80 as well, 80 out of 100, uh, because the movie, like I just said before, does have its flaws, and you got to take, take those into account, as well as contextualize them, like you said, but overall, this was uh, quite an enjoyable time, and mm-hmm. it's really fun, again, the visuals and the music, the characters, a lot, lot of warmth in this movie, and I was really able, able to dive into it. Uh, okay, so... You, you brought up the topic of a remake for how would you feel about a sequel? Because there has been talk about that mm-hmm. over time, over the years. And apparently even the actors and Stephen Elliott have brought it up now and again. Like, you know, hey, should we do a sequel? So if, if a sequel did materialize, how would you feel? I don't think a sequel could really capture the magic, even if they had did it like close to the cut. You know, I, I would like to see it revisited or sequelized through a different means, though. So, you know how lately, um, similar to what they're doing with Dead Ringers, they're taking certain um, old IPs and they're turning them, like, into miniseries? Okay. I think this could benefit from something like that, like a longer-form storytelling method, because of how many endearing and, like, layered characters there are. Even the presence of, like, this kid. It would be interesting to see some of this through um, that child's experience through a few episodes. So if they did it like that, I would love it because then they can kind of like decide where they want to start. Um, even flashing back to pieces if they need to pick up the pacing, if it's like a short miniseries, which I think would probably feel better. But yeah, if they just announce like a sequel, sequel, I, I don't know. Like I'd be open and receptive because I love these characters. I think that's what is so charming about this film. Yeah. Like the main characters, you know, I know we were about, we were about to go through some of the other ones, but the main characters I love a lot. And so I would I would watch it, but I think it would accidentally go the route of like you know when they redid Sex in the City as you know uh, they did the movie, then they did part two, and then they did and just like that, and yeah. each thing just kind of gets progressively worse. I just kind of feel like I feel like that's what it would fall into by accident. But oh. how would you feel if they did a sequel? I don't know. Okay, so how do I feel? Well, first of all, I had to say Sex in the City. I've heard so much talk about <laughs> how that progressed. <laughs> Especially with and just like that, which was so fascinating to to hear. <laughs> Didn't watch it, but still very fascinating and crazy yeah. at times, well, many times. But uh, for Priscilla specifically, if okay, so if a if a sequel, as in like a movie, was Hugo Weaving and Guy Pearce, Terrence Stamp, and Stephen Elliott coming back, if that were to happen, I will watch it. I will be. I think I'll be cautiously optimistic, but there'll also be a, a part of me that will be will be anxious, be like, hmm, how will this turn out? I don't know. I would trust Stephen Elliott to handle a sequel. I would trust the actors to retain the heart of the characters. And just like I, I, I recently saw 
this little interview with Guy Pierce where he talked a bit about that, and that that's where he's talking about, hey, you know, we have talked about doing a sequel over the years, and it, it yeah. seems like even he like he specifically has like you know the, the movie has a place in his heart, and he's talked about how people have come up to him and talked to him about how they came out after seeing the movie. So you know, again, I trust the actors, I trust the director, cautious optimism. A series reboot, like what you had mentioned about Dead Ringers, and also mm-hmm. uh, A League of Their Own, which is funny because they're both on Prime Video. Uh, I enjoyed both of those series reboots very much. To my surprise, it's like, yay, reboots that actually work in Hollywood, that actually because... add layers to the original work, and don't like they, they feel like they have a reason for existing. It's a chance to fix some of the past sins because um, that's why I like that we're talking about Dead Ringer specifically as like a comparative point because, you know, I'm going to call it what it is. Like the first Dead Ringers, it has some problems with it. And I know there were elements of it that were inspired by real life events, but the misogyny that I was feeling from Dead Ringers, when I noticed that they were going to redo it and it was going to be a female central um, storyline, I was like, sorry, a women-centric storyline, I knew it would be better because there was an opportunity to fix the past sins. And that's what a sequel to this, if they did it as a miniseries, could do. But like you said, cautious optimism. Because I feel like sometimes I ask for things and they give it to me and then it's not what I asked for. So I'm nervous all the time. I have like a million caveats when I ask for things nowadays. (laughs) I got that, I got that. (laughs) Oh, who knows? Maybe maybe a series reboot of this could I don't know drop on Prime Video since that's been doing a good job with Alika Alone and, and Dead Ringers. No, who knows? I trust them with it. If they if it does happen, Prime, if you're listening, you can do it. Yeah. Just get all the same people, invite some queer people into the room, and then and we we can do this. Yeah. We can make it happen. Yeah. and this is a big thing. I, you know, this is a big thing. I'm saying this. You know, despite the facts, I'm basically saying, hey, go over <laughs> to Jeff Bezos' territory. Oh no. I mean, look, I, I'm getting the vibe that Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos isn't in that room, and that's why things have been okay so far. But look, we're, we're putting down the parameters. If they're taking notes, they're not going to go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't don't invite Bezos in if he was in there if he hasn't been in there this whole time. Yeah, yeah. this isn't the place to start. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many people like that just these days. Like, come on, we've also got Elon Musk building up his space too. I mean, come on, oh. who's worse, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk? I'm just point. I'm saying Elon Musk personally. <laughs> Oh, yeah. he Look, he surprised me. Look, we can't even, because I will not get off that topic. You will regret having me on here if I get on that rant, because I will not end. Because as you know, this week, look, we can't do it. No, okay, we, okay. we got to talk about Priscilla. We got to talk about Priscilla. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so we've given our wind-up squad now, and we're going to focus on the movie Priscilla. We're going to go into the plot breakdown. So, listeners, if you... I uh, haven't seen the movie. Maybe you should pause the podcast. You know, go uh, go watch it. And I think it, it, it's still streaming on Tubi, as if I recall correctly. Yeah, because that's why that's why I watched it. Yeah, yeah, Tubi. Which oh, I love, I love, love me some Tubi. But if you have seen the movie, or if you haven't, but you're okay with spoilers, then you can just stay right here, listen to the podcast. But be warned that we are about to spoil the hell out of it. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. We warned them, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, also streaming on Prime Video and Pluto TV. Okay, okay, didn't know that. Yeah, watch it on those if you can, because, you know, Tubi's owned by Fox, so that happens. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right, all right. The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. 
So, I love how this opens uh, with the, the drag performance by Hugo Weaving's character, Anthony Tech Burroughs, who is performing as Missy Delbra, a, a Sesame-based drag queen, and singing, or, no, no, actually, lip-syncing, along to Shardine's I've Never Been To Me. And I'll admit, I thought this was Hugo Weaving singing at first for some reason, but then Ooh. I... <laughs> then I was like, oh no, wait, it's lip-syncing. Okay. Now, I said I liked this movie, but I did preface it by saying the beginning was a little rocky for me, and this was a piece of that rockiness. That performance for me was given stiff 99. I was like, oh, no. I need her to... I know, I feel bad, but it's gotta be real. I was like, what? It's giving amateur night. It's giving first time up in drag. I need a little bit more motion in the ocean. Oh, and then you know, she had a beer spiked at her head. So then I, you know, got triggered. I wanted to run into the bar and hurt somebody oh my, for her. Oh my god. You yeah. know, she looked she looked great though. So I do I do I was getting up into the look, but the performance was a little, you know, a little Still. Interesting, interesting. I thought I, I thought she was uh, quite charming up on stage. Interesting, oh dear. Look, I still love her though. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, even Atlas shrugged. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> and thankfully, Adam Whiteley, who is on stage as Felicia Jolly Goodfellow, played by Guy Pierce, comes on stage and to to defend Missy and and it's like. Well, that was fucking charming. You got this pack of dickheads. <laughs> Which is, oh my god, like, this, this script is just, just full of these sharp jabs. Um, and, and, then, and then Felicia also says, you know why this mic has such a long cord? So it's easily retrieved after I shove it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I, I love that. I do like the writing in general because like, it's, it's witty. Like, I really love the writing. Um, yeah. And I love the camaraderie. I like that even though a beer was uh, spiked at the head and it triggered me, there was somebody on the follow-up. Like, we're not having that around here. Oh, no. Like, we're a sisterhood. They established that very early, and I love that. No, no. Uh, especially, like, f- f- yeah, Felicia slash Adam is always just, like, throughout the movie, throwing out some good dialogue. Although, also, that character is also the one doing the death naming. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, we can't have anything nice, can we? So, no. <laughs> oh. And then we have, uh, we have Tick getting a call. From, and I didn't realize this until later on, but from, from Marion, I'm assuming, from the, from the estranged wife. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And then we, get a, we have a flashback to the, this hospital scene where, uh, where Misty has shown up in this huge silver... I kept comparing the dress to like a chandelier. And, oh, yes. and, and, and the scene, this scene made no sense to me. I was like... What, what, I was like, what, what's happening here? Is this a dream? Is this, does this really happen? Because even like the way it's, the, the way it's lit, it almost has like this Vaseline screen sort of thing. I was like, this has to be a dream, right? But then we learned later on, it's like, oh, okay. That's what the scene was. You know what's funny? So let me, let me start at the beginning with what you said. So yes, immediately I'm like, this has to be a dream. But... You know how you said later it's revealed that you know what's funny in that moment when it was revealed later that it was I'm like I'm still not convinced it's not a dream because this moment is so, I love that silver look just so you know but like that moment is so fantastical but if you take any scene out of this movie out of context and just send it to a friend of your phone it could seem like a dream sequence and yeah. I think that's what's so magical about this film oh, yeah it's just yeah, the, the glitz the glamour it's like you're and the, yeah the, just the, the yeah, fantasy, yeah, fantasy world. <gasps> and 
And I love the little moment when the camera zooms in on the wedding ring. On Tick's wedding ring there. Yeah. Wait, before we go forward, how do we know? How do we know that when Tick was performing, right? And the beer can was spiked at the head, that she didn't actually, you know, you know, get knocked out for a bit, and that this whole movie is not just a fever dream. <gasps> and she's in the <laughs> How do we know that's not let me stop. I'm sorry. I'm that is sorry. so intriguing. <laughs> That's definitely not happening. I don't know why I'm doing this right now. I mean, hey, you know, let's throw stuff out there. We're already, <laughs> we're already talking about this hospital flashback. It could, it could not That's be a true. dream. <laughs> and, and then, and then Tech calls, calls out Bernadette Bassinger, played by Terrence Stamp, who announces that her boyfriend, Trumpet, just died. And Right away, I was like, Trumpet? Such an interesting little yeah. I mean, is it, is, it, is it like... I don't know, in this movie, I could honestly believe it if Trumpet was like the first name. Or is, this just a, is it a nickname? Is it like a, a, a name you gave yourself? I don't know. I can't tell. It's never confirmed. I pray to Priscilla that it is a nickname. Oh, yeah, I worship Priscilla now, just so you know. I, I worship the bus. But, um, oh, good, good. yeah, I, I, I pray to Priscilla that it, is, that it is a nickname. I thought it was cute that they actually did put like a physical trumpet, though, on the... You know the casket. The casket. Oh, yeah, at the funeral last night, and and apparently Trumpet asphyxiated on the fumes of the peroxide he used on his hair. <laughs> oh my god, that's such a specific way to die. You know what I liked about that? It's so because death is such a heavy topic. This is one of the things I'm going to keep coming back to with this film, though. How they take like these heavier topics. Mm-hmm and juxtapose it brilliantly with these really funny and cogent, like, lines, that made, like, this really heavy scene actually feel, like, more digestible because it's just so ridiculous how he died. Like, it's just so crazy that, like, oh, that's kind of funny. It makes you laugh through, like, a really difficult situation. They're leaving a funeral. Like, geez. Well, yeah. See, I didn't even realize this until now, but even bits like that do come off like a dark comedy very much. Yeah. Yeah. And Tech invites Bernadette to accompany him on a four-week run at this hotel in Alice Springs, this, this remote town in Central Australia. And Bernadette isn't really up for that at first, but then ends up calling back Tech, and is like, let's do this, basically. And, and, and I love how she does that while Tick is promoting these products to someone. And it's like, these are woman products. A unique range of specialty facial products designed for the more heavy-duty woman in Azar. So, when I saw the, the makeup, I was like, I need them to get off of this rapidly. Because, like, it was, it was cute for a taste, but I think as a swallow, it could have went in, into very problematic territory. So I, I like that they just didn't focus on that too much for the movie. I'm like, okay, okay. just a taste of this. Okay, like, just let's back away from the the woe man makeup thing. This is, it's feeling like it's about to blow up. Okay. You know, it's, it's, a, it's like a landmine. Okay. Like, socially. <laughs> I can see, okay, I, I can see that. Okay. It, it didn't jump out at me like that. Like, it jumped out at you like that. But I can see that. And it is a small plot of the movie. Yeah, and, yeah, they, they just, they touched on it, and then I was like, okay, cool. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just small, like, even, like, we do, we draw, like, moments where, like, we see, like, we see tech packing up the products and stuff like that. Just, like, yeah. Oh, okay. And then on this trip, uh, Adam will be going with them as well, and Bernadette does not care for how extra he is all the time. <laughs> just, like, 
and this is definitely someone who is, yeah, you know, very much like, you know, yeah, flamboyant, extra, like, you know, 24-7. Yeah. So, and Doesn't turn it off so that we can have, like, a grounded, like, personal moment, like, everything's like a performance, but I think they're opposites. I think how different they are from one another actually ends up making the movie better, so it's, I'm happy that Bernadette still went along, because each personality was so different from each other. Yeah, definitely, and, and even just uh, watching how how Adam and Bernadette they have they have hostility that season between them throughout you know big portions of the movie and then they end up befriending you know each other later on towards the end. Yeah, I love it. And 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 then Adam explains how he has a dream of like he wants to go on this trip because he has a dream of traveling to the center of Australia and climbing King's Canyon as a queen in a full length Gautier sequin heels and a tiara. Mm-hmm. Yes. What a dream. Yes. <laughs> but it does have a line, great, that's just what this country needs, a cock and a frog on a rock. <laughs> yeah, these witty lines were really coming through. Yes. Then we have the tour bus introduction. Adam drives up in the tour bus they'll be using to drive to Alice Springs, and he got it from, for $10,000 from some nice Swedish tourists named Lars, Lars, and Lars. And he coaxed some money out of his mom to basically be like, oh, you know, this could help me get out of my dra- my drag queen stage. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll meet some nice country girl. She's going to be waiting a long time for that. Very long time. <laughs> and he christens the tour bus Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is, of course, where the title comes from. Brilliant name. Yes. Like, I like that they named the bus. It reminds me of how um, in um, Norse mythology, how Vikings named their uh, weapons. So I, I was feeling it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like me, you want the first thing that pops in my head as a Marvel fan. <laughs> yes, see, we know, we know. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and they take off on the trip while we have. See, so this is actually a funny little bit that pops up a few times throughout the movie because they take off while we have this uh, other, like this, like a little, like a Phillips cart with a blue light that this woman is gonna take on her own cross country trip, and we see her pop up uh, a few more times throughout the movie in the background as like the cars is like you know with, with the buff 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 with the blue light flashing. So I what was that? Because like I don't, know. I, I don't Yeah, like it was really hard for me because and I'm like maybe this because I know it's like in Australia where this is happening. I'm like, is this just like a thing? Like does this like I don't know. Like I was so confused. I liked it though. Yeah I see it's, it's random but I, I liked it. I like it as well. I I just thought it was like just throwing us in for some reason. I don't know. But it amuses me. I don't know. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Now we're following the character leads as they're taking off on their trip. So T-Words got dropped here uh, when they were taking off. And I, that's, that shocked me a little. And again, you know, 90s, you know, 90s movie. Mm-hmm. And then also the dead naming as well. The dead naming also does happen here in this portion for the first time. Yeah. Which, yeah, again, you know, we, we, we talked about it before, but, you know, I don't like it. don't need it. Yeah, in fact, if they do kind of, like, remake this, they can just cut that scene out because it's just, it's not cute. Oh, yeah. It's not. Oh, yeah, just uh, the dynamic stuff, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, on a trip, and then they, they stop for a bit, and Bernadette and Misty uh, end up just locking out Adam, who is singing and hitting the windows, and they just, they just leave... Leave him out there all night. 
Yeah, no, I don't. I look. They wouldn't have got no sleep messing with me, baby, because the desert gets cold at night. I can't deal with it. <laughs> that drag is is thick, and it could probably keep you warm and all the padding. But no, I need I need to lay in a bed. I know. And I was like, oh dear. Like I I know I know Adam annoys you, but also like, do you really want to lock him out there? And also the singing is gonna isn't it gonna keep you up? But and and Adam is tired the next day because of course like of course. Tired the next day, exhausted. He tries to get a bit of his revenge, like breaking a, a couple times to, uh, to mess with, uh, with Bernadette as she's putting on her lipstick. Yeah. Then there's a this random moment where, and I wonder if you have an explanation for this. So there's a random moment where Priscilla just stops, and then they get out, and then they're walking along this road for a bit towards the sunset, and we hear like the score, just this almost like sci-fi esque score. And when I was watching the scene, I was like. What's happening here? Why does it feel like they're walking towards a UFO in a distance? Can you explain this? I don't know what's happening. I am a huge fan of that sequence. So I don't know if my interpretation of it is correct. Let me be very clear. But the way that I saw it was Bernadette is that girl. You cannot keep a good girl down. She's going to go and succeed in this endeavor. Literally, a woman facing the elements. (laughs) She's not going to get that. Like, I, I think it's just that she's so tough that there's nothing that can get her down. She's not, she's unshook. She's unbothered. That's the whole vibe I get from it. I don't think it was much more complex than that. Okay. And I think that's a natural place for comedy because she's literally sitting down and just fixing her makeup. Like she's, it, and we know that she's dehydrated because she's literally having pills for breakfast that morning. She's been drinking like gin the whole time, oh. but like it doesn't even matter. Like she's she's not the one to play with. I love that scene so much. You don't understand. Like okay. it was so dramatic, so campy. Okay, okay, yeah, campy. Okay, that's a good word for it. That's good. I'm saying again, I was it was random. I was into it, but also I just it was it was also just like unexplainable to me. Okay. Got to have your interpretation there. <laughs> and then they're playing I, a game of I Spy, during which we learn that the owner of this hotel that they're playing at in Alice Springs is Anthony's wife. And they don't even take it seriously at first. They're just like, oh, wife, like, you know, what, a boyfriend? And then he's like, no, a, a wife, I'm married. And they're just so shocked by this. I also love the little, little flashback we have to, to Tick and, and Marion getting married. And tying it all together. Yep, and, and, you know, as Missy and, you know, just in drag with the, the, the hair. I love that. Yeah, and the cigar. was Because that's the part where they show, like, he pulled the cigar out and started to light it too, right? Or no, that was a different scene. I can't remember. <gasps> I can't remember. I feel like the cigar might have been yeah, something different. But... <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. But as of this moment, they are estranged. Like, they're not, like, officially divorced, but they are estranged. And he's just like, you know, hey, you know, after there's one bank account set up, you know, we just, decided, we just decided to swap rings and call it a day. And I also really appreciate it when Tick is like, you know, I'm sorry I didn't tell you the truth, but I'm not sorry you're here. You know, which I found that to be a, a sweet moment. Yeah, I love that. I love that moment, too. Yes. That was one of those key moments that was starting to pull the team together. Mm-hmm. So yes. And then they stop at a hotel that has a distinctive look. It's got this bit of glitter raining down the stairs as they walk up the steps and it's got these painted walls and baby bottles of ooze and Bernadette refills a dead bottle that she drank with water 
Oh my god. I was taking notes on that part when when she was saying, "Oh, you know, do that for the gin," and then they were like, "Well, what about?" I don't remember which dark liquor it was, and she said, "Oh, that's what the tea bags are for." I said, "Oop, taking notes." <laughs> I'm going to save money on my next video. Thank you, Bernadette. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I think, uh, oh my God, when uh, when Felicia was looking at that crucifix on the wall and was like, for goodness sakes, get down off that crucifix. Someone else needs the world. Yeah, I, I like that part too. <laughs> uh, another, another favorite quote of mine. And uh, who was it? Uh, who was it who said Takarama when I went in the room? Now that part, I don't remember who said that. No, okay. I, I feel like it was probably um, Adam though, because Adam was the one with all the one-liners and the zingers. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, because look, just looking around at all of the painted walls, you know, Takarama. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> and then they go to a bar that night, and that's where they run into uh, oh, just a oof, this queerphobic woman Shirley who comes in, harasses them. I, w- I did get uncomfortable during the scene at first, and I was like, oh no, what, what's, gonna, what's gonna happen here? And especially when, when she was slamming her hand down on Bernadette's hand, and I was like, oh dear, but then Bernadette fries it off and says, now listen here, you mullet, why don't you just light your tampon and blow your box apart? Because it's the only bang you're ever gonna get, sweetheart. Yeah, so let me tell you something right now. That line, I loved it, and I was like, it's a shame I can never say it, because if I do, ooh, baby, that's, mm, I I can never say that. But that was the scene, generally, the bar scene that really cemented this as, like, I love this movie. Because, like I told you, the beginning was a little rocky for me, right? And it started growing on me over time. But this is when it went to, like, this movie is, like, oh, my God, like, God sent. Because I was nervous. Like, they're in a foreign place, and... Not only are they queer, but they're dressed up in drag yeah. and they're going to this bar and there's like this ambivalence the moment they walk in the room. But so I'm expecting like, I've se- you don't know the things I've seen in movies. Like I've seen so many like horrific things. So I'm like <gasps> bracing myself to be honest. Like, okay, they're going to be, they, this might happen, that might happen. But it was actually not like that at all. Like, they actually had a good time. It did. And it turned into a good time. The, yeah. Yeah, turned yeah, exactly. Even Shirley, who was just an awful, awful person, you know, that was a light moment when they had the drink off, which I know we're about to get to. Like, yep. I like the handling of this scene, just to be honest. Yeah, I, again, started out uncomfortable, and then it, it was, as you were saying. And, yeah. and then we have... The, and then we have Missy doing an impromptu performance and uh, the flip-flop dress that I had mentioned earlier. That's what it happened. And I was just like, damn, what a style. I'm making one of those dresses. It's going to be my first time up in drag, okay? Like, I'm that dress is iconic. Like, it's just, it was really well-constructed, to be honest, for something that was only $7 to make. It was really funny. <laughs> and then... And then this is when Bernadette and and, uh, and Shirley are doing the drinking challenge. As everyone around them are cheering them on. And then, and then Shirley ends up, uh, ends up passing out. She, she loses. And that's when, when Bernadette was filling her vision. It, it just looked like, like, like a, a psychedelic image of all of these Bernadette faces. It was wonderful. I've never actually seen, like, a drinking under the table contest before. I only see it in movies. But this is my favorite one so far. Definitely, definitely. And then after that, that's when we have another death naming moment from Felicia. And Bernadette does not let it off easy, though. When it gets back to the room, 
Bernadette is just, is just beating down on her. Like, not, you know, not seriously beating her up, but, like, you know, doing some light uh, physical joshing, I think. Oh, no, that wasn't light. I heard a jaw dislocate. Okay, she does not suffer, <laughs> she does not suffer fools lightly, baby. <laughs> and, and this is happening while, uh, while Missy is just passed out. I would be passed out, too. I don't got nothing to do with me. Look. You done said some slick stuff out your mouth and Brenda they're getting you together. Yeah, yeah. Kismet. Karma. <laughs> Karma. Karma. <laughs> That's what happens if you dead name people, yeah. okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the next morning, they find out that this, uh, uh, an extremely, uh, an extremely homophobic uh, age-related phrase has been spray-painted on the side of Priscilla. Which is a, it's a reminder of the screen of the crap that happens in the world. One of the darker moments in the movie. I'm like, who did this? They tore it up last night. We were all having, we were dancing, having a good time, drinking together. Like, wow, that's some hateful stuff. I know. But once again, like how they did with the funeral, how they juxtaposed it with these really funny moments. That's when the uh, the keep says something about where are you guys from, and they're like Uranus. He's like, oh, okay, cool. Go yep, ahead. yep. <laughs> yep. It's, it's a reference to earlier because that's that's what Shirley was yep. like. Shirley was like, oh, are you from Uranus? Yeah, so it's like this moment of reclaiming, like, an insult, and, like, nothing gets us down. Yeah. And the resiliency of, like, that spirit, even though these are straight men acting as queer people, it's like they're doing a good job because they're still showing, like, the resilience of the queer spirit because there's always some BS that, like, we go through as queer people that, you know, the system would almost want, especially when you think about, like, more serious things that are happening in legislation in America right now. Yeah. It's like they're trying to shove people back into the closet, basically. But the gay spirit says, hell no, like, you know, we are who we are and we refuse to be set aside. Like, that's, a, I don't want to get stuck there, but that I think that's like one of the recurring things in this film that feels really good, that they're just so resilient in the face of adversity and we get to laugh through things that are, I mean, Bernadette walking through the desert. Like, what? <laughs> that could have, I'm still not over that. I'm still not over it. <laughs> and I can definitely see that. Definitely see that. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're going back on the trip. And then this is, this is when they take a shortcut with the Phillips cart. That's when the Phillips cart pops up again and is heading down the regular old road as the bus is going, as Priscilla is going on, you know, going on the shortcut. Then you've got Felicia sitting on top of the bus and this, 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 this silvery costume, this, all of these streamers just flowing yeah. behind her. It looked expensive. Yes, definitely. And then, and then after this is when Adam tells the story of his Uncle Barry. Uh, and it's like, oh my... I, well, when this scene came up, I was like, oh my god, this is getting so damn dark. Why, why are we here ha hearing about his uncle uh, committing, uh, uh, committing sexual assault against, against the child? What's happening here? But then it turns into Adam pulling the drain out of the bathtub, because Barry's in the bathtub. Adam just pulls the drain out, she gets plugged up, and Barry's balls get sucked right into the drain. And, oh my god, I was like, okay, this is so dark, but also, it, it amuses me. I can, I, can get, I can get some laughs out of this extremely dark moment. Yeah, I'm right with you. Reclamation, as you were talking about. And, and, apparently, <laughs> and apparently, mom was out playing golf, and she was trapped here for about seven hours. It's right what he deserved. And then Priscilla conks out. Now it's like, oh no, what's happening? And they're like, you know, where the hell are they? And we're of nowhere where they've conked out. 
and, and now we're just like, oh no, we, we should have just stuck to the main road. On to right before, right before the Pacific, uh shut down, uh, Adam was starting to tell a joke about an indigenous tribe, which I feel like that joke probably wasn't aged too well. I feel like it, it, it wasn't even fully finished because the, the, the joke gets cut off before Priscilla comes out. Yeah, I, I was happy that joke got cut off because I was mm, it, it kind of like the um the makeup thing I was saying earlier. That was one of the ones I I was like, mm, this is a landmine. This isn't going the way that they think it's going to go. We need to leave that yeah, in the yeah. the nineties box and push it under the bed, yeah. never to be seen again. Definitely. Then, okay, can you remind me why I have a face hypnotized bunnies written here? And for the scene, can do, do you remember what happened with hypnotized bunnies that I'm about? Hypnotized bunnies, it does, but I can't remember why. Okay, that's weird. Why do I have more details from notes here? Hello, <laughs> hypnotized bunnies. And then Adam starts painting lavender over the whole bus and covering up the homophobic face. And I love how I, I love how he's so specific about color, lavender. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, lavender's, you know, a, a powerful royal color and also a very powerful queer color. Yeah. Lambda. Definitely. And then meanwhile, Misty puts on a green dress and is dancing around. And then Bernadette is going off to find help. And then eventually comes across this Jeep and has to ride back and, and has to ride in the back seat with a, a dead kangaroo. Oh my god. That was horrific. I know. That must have just been so horrid. Just the just, stench, just the corpse, the carcass. And then it wasn't even worth it. Because then the, the couple who was uh, driving her, when they come back, they just look at the whole trio, and then they just drive off without helping. They didn't care for this queer trio, apparently. They were ice cold. I was like, ooh, how you... How you? And I, the funny, I knew they were going to pull off. Though. I knew it. I was like, this is what's going to happen. They're going to leave. And when it happened, I still ooped. Yep. And then this is when Adam says that green isn't Misty's color. Rude. <gasps> yes. And then we have uh, Bernadette admitting that she isn't, isn't incredibly sad over Trumpet's uh, passing. And she was like, oh, you probably saw me as like a, a bent status symbol. It was just interesting. I thought that was an interesting moment. It's, it's small, but... Yeah, it was sad. I feel, I feel like that's probably something that happens a lot in real, in real life as well. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh. But um, I think that's why, and I know we'll get into it, when there seemed to be an opportunity for love for her later, I was like, okay, I like this because she doesn't deserve to be fetishized. You know, she deserves, like, you know, real love. Yeah, exactly. So. Genuine love. Someone, you know, not dating you because, like, oh, for appearances or for a symbol. No, because, you know, someone who loves you for you. Yeah. And then she drops the quote, no more fucking ABBA. <laughs> I was with her. I was like, look, let me stop teasing. <laughs> <Just kidding. gasps> I I I, I, say, I feel like that was such a, a strong quote to drop because I feel like, oh dear, I feel like that would offend people who are huge fans of ABBA. Right, and I don't even know what ABBA did. Like they they have a good time. They make some good music. Yeah, I mean, like, geez. I mean, even ABBA even pops up at the end. Right. No and more then, fucking ABBA. <laughs> and then this is when we have the trio to end up having some fun with this uh, group of Aboriginal Australians. And and I found this to be a really fun scene. I, it's probably one of my favorite scenes actually in the movie. It's just really sweet. Just you know, everyone having some fun. Even the guy who found them, who found a chair and brought them to it. it oh yeah, it, Adam. Yeah. I mean not Adam. What was his name? I can't remember his name. But yeah. I don't. I, I tried to look this up actually, and I don't know if they give him a name unfortunately. 
but yeah, they may not have because it just says Aboriginal man. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He found he's a guy who found him to end up drawing him into the performance. You know, what a performing I will survive, and he and he's dressed up in a sober dress, which I I enjoyed that. Even he's you know he's participating in this. He's having this chance to, uh, ex- you know, express himself, join in. It, it it was really really sweet. As I said for watching these two yeah, movies, it was. The camaraderie. I loved it. Yes. Also, when this scene popped up, this was where I thought the stereotype would come in. Because now we have, uh, we have like, people of color in the scene. And I'm like, oh, wait, is this what will happen? But it doesn't. They're just having fun. It doesn't, the stereotyping doesn't happen until later. Mm, so. Yeah, they, they knew how to uh, build suspense. I'll tell you that. Yes. We learned from Adam about how he apparently scavenged a poop from Agnesa when he went backstage at an AVA concert. <laughs> such a such a specific little tale. I almost threw up. That was horrific. I was like, okay, we did not need this part. Ew. Oh my god. What the hell? That's a super fan. I someone's doing that at the Renaissance tour right now, so Oh my god. And, and, and oh my god, it's like this whole avatar story just reminds me of all of those tales to hear about people saving oh you know, a celebrity's, you know, maybe a sandwich that you took a bite out of, mm-hmm. you know? Farts and jars, yeah, all that stuff. I mean, that's why it even uh, antiviral. Antiviral is exactly like that sort of thing too. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! See, full circle <laughs> in the worst way. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, oh, and then Adam flies this kite that's made out of this like a blow-up doll, and it's this you know that there's a pink you know this pink dress going on, and. Not the only time we see the kite, because the kite gets lost, but then we do see the kite come back, you know, right right at the end, you know, in the post-credit scene, which, which was fun. And funny to watch a 90s movie that has a post-credit scene. Yeah, I, it made me happy that I was jamming to the music at the end, because I didn't know that there would be a post-credit scene, so when I saw it, it was a treat. I wasn't expecting one, because like, like you said, the 90s. Same here. It makes you feel modern. Yeah. Then we have introduction of Bob Spot, who is played by Bella Hunter. Who is another character who I gotta say I gotta say I actually really I really enjoyed him in this movie as well, and he's charismatic and was just helping out helping the leads out uh, joining in on the community. It turns out he's gonna help out with uh, you know fixing the gas tank, but there was still mm-hmm. need replacement. And then we have the, the whole dinner with Bob and his uh, and his wife Cynthia. So now she's introduced, and 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 then one, as soon as she as soon as she popped up, and you know we started, started talking, and after, you know about a minute a minute or two in, I was like, oh, this is where the stereotyping comes in, <laughs> and yeah, yeah just uh, because she's she's like a, she's a male order bride, and mm-hmm. and she's a woman of color. I think she's a I think she's Filipina, and the movie definitely portrays her in a way that is like oh. Look at her, she's awful. She's like a gold digger. Uh, she's performing later on. Oh no. And it's like, shame on you. <laughs> and it's like, oh no, I don't like this. And, and the scene didn't even fit. Like, it, it wasn't necessary, especially since they were developing a love between Bob and Bernadette. We could just cut all of that, like, that ping pong coochie popping thing. I, like, all of that was just too much. I was like, I don't even need this. This is just offensive. Just, I, and just know. I know, and, and that, and, and then and then also the v- broken English. She's speaking broken English, which also adds on to yeah. like stereotyping. And again, the movie it's so weird how the movie definitely it definitely feels like it wants you to laugh at this. Like, oh, isn't this so amusing? And it just it feels 
strangely mean-spirited in a way that really does, like I was saying for clash with the rest of the movie. And it's like, mm. Yeah, my jaw was on the ground the whole time. Yeah. I, I need therapy. Yep. And then Bob says that he was into the Legos and Tick says Bernadette is the most famous Lego ever produced. Bob wants the, the trio to perform, do a, like a, a live Lego show. So they're doing the performance and it was just fun, you know, to take a group thing. That was, you know, fun to watch. Although only Bob was the one who shared loudly as well as performance. Oh dear, but. And then Cynthia uh, interrupted the ping pong ball scene. Mm. It was just like, it also felt weird because I was like, because Bob was also like kind of like shaming her as well and t- taking her down from the bar. And. I also felt like the movie was being like a slut-shaming sort of thing as well. If, if she wants to perform, you know, if, if she has talents like that, you know, she can she can do that. But the movie definitely <laughs> wants to uh, wants to push down on her for that. You know what? That is a very progressive way to see that. See, I'm very proud of you. You know what? I actually may. I don't know. I, it was just so much that I don't. I, I need more time to process it. To be honest, I can, it was, I can see that. My jaw was on the floor. Like I, just, it didn't get off the like, floor until she was off the screen. Yeah. Like maybe, like maybe she didn't do it in that specific time and period. Like not interrupt, not interrupt the show, not interrupt Mitzi and Felicia and Bernadette. You know, but you know, someone else if she really wants to do it. You know, you know, she can. But also. I don't mean to be technical, but how, if she's bent over forward, how was it projecting out like that? Okay. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't she have to be on her back in order for it to shoot in the trajectory that it was going? Like, okay. Right? So here's the thing. When this, when this scene first came up, I'm going to be honest here. I thought she was popping it out of her butt. <laughs> yeah, me too at first. Because I'm like, yeah. she, I don't know. The, the, yeah. It would, it, it, again, it's just, it's a whole amalgamation of things. Oh, also, apparently she's dealing with alcoholism as well. So I feel like the movie packs that in. And it's like, oh, look, she's alcoholic. And she's, because, you know, she's not allowed to pub anymore. And, and, and even, the, and, you know, she was furiously trying to unlock her cabinet of ping pong balls. Also, when she was doing that, when she was really going out to cabinet, I was like, what the hell is she trying to do with a bunch of ping pong balls? And then I found out. So when I saw the ping pong balls, I knew immediately what she was about to do. Because I've heard about, like, you know, that type of... Perform- I've heard of that okay. gag before. Okay. So I knew it was going there, but I prayed that it wouldn't. So I was like, okay, is this what's going to... I was like, no, they're not going to... They're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just... Mm. I, I, I get how you feel about it. I, get, I don't know. It's just... It's a whole, again, a whole amalgamation of things that are just viewed through this negative light. And I don't, I don't like it. And, yeah, and it, I'm with and you. It's so qu- it's so quick too because again she leaves like she leaves in the morning and it's like then she just steps out of the picture and it's just like okay so why that wasn't necessary though it's just again out of place like you were saying cut her cut out of the picture not necessary you know yeah I would admit I just find it's just a little humorous when she criticized Bob for his little dingling <laughs> I like that part too I mean. Because even though the caricature was very offensive, and even though I have some misgivings about the, the coochie popping, she was a good time, you know, a, aside from yeah. all the other awful things. He was definitely bringing down the vibe, so she needed to get one last off on him before she pulled off into the sunset, yes. cackling like Yzma from um, The Emperor's New Groove. Yes. <laughs> and I should also note that the actor is Julia Cortez, and she had also played Rita Reporter 
and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie from 1995. I'm sorry, what? This, this actress, that was Rita. Rita Repulsa, yeah. Did you watch the movie? No, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. That, no, I'm not accepting that. Is that true? <laughs> yes, Rita Repulsa from 1995. No, I'm not. I'm not that. Yeah, I, I think I'm like. Wait, are you? Because I grew up watching the Power Rangers. Looking, I did not clock looking, that that was I'm looking her. at the picture right now. I'm looking at the picture right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> what is her name? Uh, Julia Cortez. If I click on this, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> I, wow, I, I am. I'm not expecting. I did not expect it to blow your mind like that. It's very intriguing. Yes, I loved Rita. Like, what What the hell was... Oh, oh, we need to... Oh, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm not all right. I can feel your walls crashing together right now. I just saw Rita shoot ping pong balls out of her coochie. I'm not okay. Like, I'm not going to be okay for a long time. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Make my monsters grow. Oh, my God. I... I Oh. See, so mm. I haven't seen that movie, but I did see the up to reboot from I think twenty seventeen if I recall correctly. I saw that Power Rangers movie, but not the ninety five movie. I'm not okay. I'm sorry. I I I'm gonna I'll I'll make it through this, but I'm gonna cry as soon as we're done recording. I'm oh dear, sob I'm sorry. In the corner. <laughs> and that video of Porter and the reboot was played by Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. Mm, okay. Oh dear. So now we're past that, we're past that whole scene, and now we got Bernadette and Adam and Anthony leaving now, and they're not waiting for a new gas tank, and they end up offering Bob a free ride to Cooper PD. So now he's gonna be going along. I like the quote, is it, is it Bernadette who says this? Who says, gentlemen are endangered species, unlike bloody drag queens who just keep breeding like rabbits. Yeah, that, yeah, yep. that was Bernadette, her. Yeah. Because if you remember while she was saying it, they were throwing ping pong balls off the back of the bus, which I'm like, I I oh, can't take this. I know. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. No. Because you were protecting your mental health. I should have <laughs> forgot about it. <laughs> and then Felicia's up on the roof with this reddish pink smoke just flowing behind Priscilla. She's on that stiletto heel, the big silver heel. Again, just more of that flamboyant energy. Yeah, I love that part. And then Bob asks Bernadette, why she's trans, and we get a flashback to her as a child switching the cards around at Christmas to get a doll, <laughs> while her sister gets a cement mixer toy. Yeah, that was funny. So. Not a cement mixer. <laughs> when night comes and they stop, this is when Bob learns Tick has a wife, but he also claims that he is not bi or straight. And Tick is doing all this while wrestling around with Adam, by the way, doing a little roughhousing. He also says that he's not a donut puncher either, which apparently I learned is Australian slang for a man who's gay. Oh, okay. I actually like that little moment because I feel like it offers a view of the character of, of Tick, who is, is he fluid, maybe? I think maybe towards the end, the movie does make it seem like he's gay. But I don't know. Is, is yeah. he gay? Is he, is he fluid? I think he, I mean, he, maybe he doesn't like labels. Like, maybe yeah, he's like, um, yeah. he's somebody who's just, um, you know, love is love, and like I just kind of go with the flow. Like I've been with men, you know, but like I don't, I don't like labels. Yeah, so, yeah, just living life, and it it, 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 yeah. it also reminds me. It's funny. I actually brought this up on a different on a different podcast uh, quite recently. I saw this tweet about how it was 
it, it, it was it was setting up the difference. It was like, oh, it was saying how like the differences between the labels of a lesbian relationship, a sapphic relationship, and a WLW relationship. And then there was a quote tweet of that tweet saying like, hey, isn't this too strict for us? Shouldn't we just be more fluid with how, you know, we express our genders and sexualities? And, like self-policing, we, you know, is it really good to really self-police like this? So it, it reminds me of, of, of an issue like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this is when the Winter Phillips cut comes back again, passes by them, making just just you know, it's a blue light and a blah, 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 blah. and I love her, you know, what a rude woman. I love that. And I couldn't tell who said that, but someone said that. Is it is it maybe Bernadette or I think it was Bernadette. Okay. I keep yeah, you know, I I feel like yeah, Bernadette gets some great lines here, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, and, and then I love when uh when they're playing around in this lake, I think it is, and Adam is like, who wants first bass? And they're just flashing around. That was a magical scene. I mean, that more props to that cinematography. Jesus. Yes, definitely, definitely. And so they, they go on with a with a trip. Bob apparently the gas tank again. And I don't care if the sun don't shine place. And then they stop at another motel in this town, Cooper PD. And then we have Tick and Bernadette who are having dinner. And Tick is like, oh, Bernadette, I've been seeing you know, I've been seeing you flutter your lashes at Bob. But she says he's too old for her. And then Bernadette supports Tick on being a good husband. And if given the opportunity, a good father. And Tick is like, Tick talks about thinking about having kids. Which is interesting, you know, considering, you know, we find out later about his family. But, mm-hmm. but I like that about Tick. Encouraging Bernadette to really pursue things with Bob. And I, and I, was, reading, and I was reading for them too as well. Yeah, I love that too. Yes. And then we have Felicia, who is currently high on her own self, and heads to the store to get the Texas Chainsaw Mascara, which is a nice little title. Yeah. Oh, and then also there's a moment where Bernadette talks about wanting kids, did want kids, but has learned not to think about it. And I feel like one of the moments that does show kind of like the, you know, the sadness and regret that she does experience in her life. Yeah. And then back to Felicia, who, oh, this was a, this was a tense scene when she walks into this camp, and gets a beer. She calls out the Bob, but he doesn't acknowledge her. And then uh, this other guy, who is apparently interested in her, but then sees her muscles and smacks a beer out of her hand. She throws a beer in his face and just runs off with multiple of the men running after her. And it's terrifying to also see like all the men running after her, but it was also funny at the same time when she yelled, Who wants to see my map of Tasmania? Yeah, that that part was funny. Um, but I think it. I was just so scared the whole yeah. time. I'm like, please, please don't let anything, lately any real harm come to her because it was too intense. I was so scared. I was just so, so, so scared. Yes, yes. And then we cut back to Bernadette and and Tick, and Bernadette says her parents never spoke to her again after she had had the shot, as she puts it. Yeah. Which again, you know, it's, it's that's always heartbreaking to hear when you cut off when your parents cut you off like that. Afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's cold. Yeah. And then this is, this is when the two of them see Felicia outside, racing past the restaurant. Fortunately, Bob comes in to save her as the you know, physical assault is happening, and then Bernadette and Tech arrive as well. Bernadette uh, kicks one of the guys twice in the balls, which is lovely. Yeah. Yep, defending Felicia like that. And then afterwards, uh, Bernadette and the two of them, Bernadette comforts her. And it's nice to see this after the previous hostility. And this is where you can feel the two of them getting closer, starting to become more like friends now. Yeah. 
Yeah, because they went through that adversity together and just seeing that, like, we may have had our differences, but I'm not going to let anyone hurt you. Like, I love that. I love those vibes. Definitely, definitely. Just even, like, there's a, there's a whole monologue that Bernadette actually says to Felicia that I'm going to read off here. I really, I really found it to be heartwarming what she says. It's funny. We all sit around mindlessly, slacking off that vile sinkhole of a city. But in its own strange way, it takes care of us. I don't know if that ugly wall of suburbia has been put there to stop us from getting in or us getting out. Come on, don't let it drag you down. Let it toughen you up. I can only fight because I learned to. Being a man one day and a woman the next isn't an easy thing to do. Yeah, that was that was a beautiful way to see the city. You know, like because there are people I feel like sometimes beating down the walls to get into a new vibe because like they don't know what it's like outside of that world. Especially like this isn't technically pre-internet, but in a sense, it kind of is just because it wasn't as widespread. So it's easy for us to romanticize new vistas without really thinking about like what you could be walking into. And that's what this adventure kind of reveals. Like all the, all the wild things you can find when you're just trying to find, you know, dangerous paradise risks. And then now they're leaving Cooper PD. So I like the cinematography for this scene when tech apologizes to Adam for getting mad at him last night while Adam is in this tanning bed. It was just really nice. So like, is it is it is it a tanning bed? I think I think it is, right? I don't know what it is because it because of the sun being up and then the lighting, it felt like he was in like a coffin, like he was a vampire or something. Like I, I couldn't get a vibe right. of what it was, but it was it was right. so cool though. Yeah, yeah, right. The co- like the coffin set up. You mentioned this earlier. That's right. <laughs> I see. I don't know. I thought it was a tanning bed or like it like one is unplugged. It it would I don't know. It's it looks very interesting. It's a very interesting setup. Because it's like one of those old trucks. I know those trucks back in the day, a lot of people would put like the little freezers on them and stuff, like for carrying food and stuff. So I was like, I wonder if maybe it's like that, like it's like a freezer that's mm-hmm. been unplugged or something. But maybe. I couldn't I, I I can't even tell you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then we have a flashback to Bob waking up one morning and finding out he had a marriage contract with Cynthia and so you know she comes back for it's been in that flashback and apparently she, yeah. she thought he was from Sydney um, and now the you know the, again they're still making their way towards Alice Springs they'll be there late tomorrow and there's a moment where Adam is wearing just bunny hood that I thought was uh, that I thought was amusing just nice little look yeah it was cute yeah. it was cute yeah. and then Adam and Tick they leave Bernadette and Bob for themselves one night when they stopped, and it's cute how they spy on Bernadette and Bob for a bit. Just watching them, like, you know, they, they set this up clearly, obviously, for them to, to, to try to set them up. Get them together. Yeah, yeah some bow chicka wow wow. <laughs> exactly. <Yep. laughs> and then the next morning, uh, we, we find out that Bernadette and Bob fell asleep outside. Mm-hmm. Outside. They're falling in love. Was it Adam? I think it might have been Adam who said Bernice has left her cake out in the rain. I love that line, by the way. I love that callback. Like, I I was like, oh, okay, I caught this, and I'm living. I'm living my fantasy. <sighs> and then the foursome drives Priscilla to Alice Springs, and they reach the hotel, and now we've got Tick reuniting with Marion. And then the, the little kid pops in, Ben. Mm-hmm. And... I would admit, when, when, when Ben popped in at first, I was like, wait, who is this kid? What's he doing here? And then I was like, oh, wait, uh, is, he, is he the son? Is he he's a child? 
I was like, Adam looks more like his father than um <laughs> than a uh, tick. But you know, I I, yeah. I was with you. I was like, who is this little kid? Yeah. And then yeah, I, I yeah, I reacted similarly. Yeah. Oh, speaking of speaking of which, I actually saw like the kid who played young Adam in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually thought he looked a lot like a uh, guy Pierce, that child. Just oh yeah, just like I feel like because they had like the same, almost like the same mouth, like same mouth, same hair. Just, it was like a, it was like yeah, I, I can see some similarities between the child and Guy Pierce. At least the way the Guy Pierce looks as Adam, that's really sure. Hmm. Yeah, and then this is when we you know like we have we have Bob and Adam and Bernadette walking into the room. Then we cut to that to that hospital flashback. We cut back to it. And this time it's adjusted though, because then we have a doctor coming in, and then we have Bernadette, Bob, and Adam on a nurse a nurse guard behind the doctor, and and the doctor is like, Mister Burrows, congratulations, it's a boy. It's a boy. And then that's when yep, that's when Misty Misty has a cigar and flicks a lighter, and then oh yeah, that is that part yeah yeah. yeah. And then Bernadette, I love how Bernadette like faints, like falls backwards in the hospital flashback, and then cuts back to it transitions into her like falling backwards in the hotel. Yeah, that was brilliant. I know, and again, even when even when the hospital flashback uh comes back around, it still feels so much like a dream. Except now we have we have the group in it as well. We have the friends in it. We have Bernadette and Bob and 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 Adam <laughs> and the nurse yeah. nurse attire. It's giving folly a duh. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so now we know Tick has an eight-year-old son, and and then Bernadette is upset over the he uh, over the cartoonish bump on her head, and she's upset about that, and 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 then Adam says about Marion, even on ever since you were born. It's it's funny coming from Adam because I feel like you you can also say that about Adam as well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so what, what do you what do you think about, about Marion? Because I feel like Marion is now getting introduced here. Any thoughts on her? What do you think about Marion? Yeah, I, I loved Marion. And based on the depiction of the previously introduced uh, woman, Rita, it was it was nice to see a, a better representation of uh, women in this movie. Like I think she was very progressive, very forward thinking, and I really liked the dynamic. Like. We're going to get into it a bit, but even the idea that she clearly had spoken to her son about his father. So it wasn't like awkward. It wasn't like he was demonized for following his passion and just being truly who he is. Like, it was just like, I can't wait to get, I'm going to wait. But yeah, I have a lot to actually say about that dynamic because that's one of the things that made me emotional about this film. Okay, good, good, good. And then we've got the three of them. We've got Mitzi, Felicia, and Bernadette uh, introduced on stage doing their show as the Sisters of the Simpson Desert. And they perform finally by C.T. Peniston. And, 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 and then I, I love this whole, this whole setup for this performance and how they, how they have the, they get, they get on the yellow, yellow and drag and orange, drag and get ups. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, just very snazzy, just pops on the screen. <laughs> Yeah, it was the the I can see why it won an Oscar for for its outfit, its uh, costuming or design, whatever. Because that moment alone, just the looks were just oh, they were so well done. Yes, yes, and even, and even like the, the dresses you have on, like these, these blue and white. I think like mm-hmm. I kept thinking like shepherdess dresses. Is that 
I guess you could say that. But, but he said, yeah, the costumes. And mm. so the audience, unfortunately, is tepid towards them, except for yeah. Bob, Marion, and Benj. And then Missy faints. Oh, and the, and I like the I like the bit when uh just needed an, an extra bit of attention when Missy is being tended to. <gasps> yeah, when um when she fainted, I got nervous because I'm like, yeah. I need you to hold it together. I need you to be. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> You're wearing a lot of drag, you know, and you could really hurt yourself. <laughs> and and then after afterwards afterwards uh. Take it embarrassed about his son seeing him in drag, but Marion is just like you're being a drama queen, and yeah. she wants him to help her with looking after Benj. And then Adam and Benj are uh, cutting over to them. Uh, Benj is just playing with his toy cars, you know, just being a kid. And Adam is like, "Do you know what your father does for a living?" And Benj does, yes. And he's all he's all casual about whether his dad is into women or has a boyfriend. And he even says, like, he even, he even says uh, that his mom doesn't, ha- doesn't have a boyfriend, and she used to have a girlfriend, but she got over mm-hmm. her. And then, he, and then he just offers to bring Adam along for some Lego playtime. Because, like, adults make bigger deals about yeah. things than kids, you know? Like, at the end of the day, it's, you know, I think that's, like, the thing that people... This is what made me really emotional about the film. It's, like, kids, are, they understand the language of love. So once they get around parents who are, like, bigots or like teach them that there's something wrong with something that's really where it flows down from but that kid's reaction was just so beautiful like it's not a big deal like like you know yeah. you're my dad you do drag i like abba you gonna do abba for me one day yeah okay cool like let's go hang out <laughs> i know exactly and it's just disappointing to see all of these attitudes sort of being spread around the country and it's just like, oh, you know, we gotta protect the children. You know, we gotta ban the books. We gotta, we gotta ban drag mm-hmm. performances, drag shows, because the kids cannot be exposed to that. Uh, otherwise, they'll be programmed, and you know, they'll be exposed to pedophilia, child predators. And it's like, well, one, that's not what the queer community is about. That's not what drag is about. Also, if you really want to uh, talk about, uh, you know. You know, programming or you know, or brainwashing. Maybe you should also look at certain religious institutes. Maybe uh, the Catholic Church, and you know, mm-hmm. you want to look into that. Oh no, we don't want to look into that. No, we want to we want to ban drag shows. Child, just... child, child. I I mean, there's e- there's even this TikTok I saw that uh, that has this whole. I think it's like a. I don't, I don't know if it's like a commercial or something like that, but apparently it's this program that has these kids dancing around and singing about how it's good to obey your, obey your parents in order to please the Lord. And it is so oh, it is so weird watching this and being like, wait, this is real? This is not satire. It is a real thing. And it's like, again, you want to talk about brainwashing? Yeah, religious propaganda is on top of the list, but we can't... <laughs> Baby... <sighs> And then next morning, Priscilla takes off with Marion and Benj joining along for the ride. And then uh, I like how they were playing charades. And then apparently Benj's answer is Lindy Chamberlain, who I didn't know this until I looked her up, but apparently she's like a this woman who was wrongfully convicted and is one of Australia's most publicized murder childs for the murder of a 10-week-old daughter, which is mm-hmm. tragic, but... 
<laughs> I was like, yeah, well, why is that the answer for this Game of Thrones? Yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then we have this tender moment between Ben and Tick, where Tick is like, you know, he doesn't always dress up in women's clothes, and he's clearly feeling ashamed here, you know, and he's ashamed of like, yeah. how is my kids going to think of me, going to think of this? And his son would like him to do ABBA for him, though. And he even says, like, you know, he even says, will you have a boyfriend when you get back to Sydney? And Tick is like, maybe. And his kid is like, that's good. And it's just like, it's just a really casually handled moment. It was like, you know, it's sweet. And like you were saying before, like, you know, the kids, you know, they can understand this craft pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. And they just speak love. You know, they don't, it doesn't really bother them because, you know, they're kids. Yeah. They just love you. Yeah. They don't understand hatred until it's taught to them like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's taught, you know, this kind of hatred is, is not born. It doesn't come from birth. They absorb it from the world around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we cut to Missy, Felicia, and Bernadette is showing up in these flamboyant outfits. You know, they have the suspended headdresses, and they take this whole long walk uh, through, through the desert and with this grand music accompanying them. And then they reach, they, they reach the peak and now they did what Adam has talked about earlier about taking the walk and climbing King's Canyon and full drag regalia because that's what they're doing now. I loved it. Yeah, just that, yeah, just the score and the cinematography. Yeah, it's just beautiful. And now, now they finished their shows and they can go home. So now they're leaving the hotel, trying to head back to Sydney. There's a nice little moment with the bellboy, who's actually played by Stephen Elliott, in an uncredited cameo. Says to Adam, don't go without leaving me your number, sunshine. And Adam is like, already taken care of, Jeff. It's at the far end of the man's cubicle. For a good time, phone Felicia. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Felicia is such a, tootie, a, a looney tune. I love yes. it. Phone Felicia. But Bob won't be going with them, though. And then Bernadette also won't be accompanying them. And they'll be staying at the hotel. Bob will be working there. And that was really nice to you know, hear about the two of them just staying here and possibly, probably get together. Yeah, I think they were heavily alluding to that. And they weren't too heavy-handed with it because I don't think they wanted it to feel like a cheap, schlocky romance. You yeah. know, it's just, you know, we're still getting to know each other. There's a chance. You never know until you try, as she said. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I-, I like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. And, and Bernadette will keep performing, too. Because Marion even, even says, like, you know, she knew about this plan a few weeks ago, and she needs guest entertainment while she's on her vacation. So Bernadette mm-hmm. will, be, will be there. So it's a happy ending. Yes. And Bernadette even expresses, like, she's not certain about this choice, but she's willing to take the risk. And then Priscilla rides off, and they all say her goodbyes. And then we have the final death naming moment here. Well, not only Adam... But Ben also participates in it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oof, why does this heartwarming goodbye need to be tainted by death naming? It was, yeah, it was ice cold. I know, it, just, it, it ripped me out of the moment. I, I still enjoyed the ending, but it ripped me out. Like, why, why does the death <laughs> naming have to pop up here within the last few minutes? Oh my god. Was that necessary? <laughs> and this leads now into Mamma Mia playing over the movie. There's a funny moment where Priscilla passes by this yellow traffic sign with a high heel symbol. And I'm like, see, that feels like another dream-like moment. Is that supposed to be really there for kicks, or is it just part of, like, a fantasy? 
if that's really there, I got a landmark I got to go to and take a picture next to the first time I go to Australia. Because that's iconic. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And then we cut to Missy and Felicia doing a drag show. And and Mamma Mia continues to play as we keep forming along with it. Uh, And that's where the movie ends, basically. It's just on this final performance. It was fun to watch this. And And I feel like Mamma Mia... I feel like maybe it's not original to say this, but I feel like I enjoy Mamma Mia a lot. Like, you know, out of all of the ABBA songs, you know, I get a good kick out of that. Yeah, ABBA's a fun song. It's like, I, I agree with you. I'm with you. Like, it was a high-spirited way to end a movie that touched on, like, some really serious topics, but they brought brightness and levity to each of them. So, yes. I don't know. It was it was nice. Yes. It was good. Definitely, definitely. And, and then, even as a credit, we have some watchful credits here with Missy singing... Vanessa Williams is saved the best for last. And the credits, I actually, I'm actually glad I've had the credits here, because some, sometimes my eyes will just skim over the credits in the movies, but here I was able to catch on to how it had the sections, extra special thanks with cream on top, and then special thanks, no cream, Sherry's optional, and then finally, quite special thanks, hold the sweetener. So segments <laughs> as part of the credits. I didn't catch that. I like that. My eyes did glaze over. <laughs> Um, uh, in the credits. I wish I would have caught that. I like little stuff like yes, that. Yes, yes. Again, after watching this, he continues performing, yes. And and then, after this, as we said before, a post-credit scene with that kite that we had seen earlier. It just got lost, and now it lands somewhere in, in, in Asia, I think? Somewhere? Yeah, I think so, yeah. <gasps> just a, a random little gag, but just it popped back in, and then, uh, that's that's the movie now. We've gone on the whole journey. Even the kite. Even the kite went on uh, went on their own journey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Oh, that is now The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. What a movie. What a time. Any final thoughts to express? I just, just bringing it back to the kid, like, it's, it's just, this movie is really interesting in today's climate with everything that's going on with the drag shows and all that stuff because it really is just proof that, like, you know, kids don't trip about things as much as adults do. Like, adults make bigger deals about things than kids do. It's definitely, even though there were some misgivings, like, we, we went through in the movie and stuff, I really do love this movie. I think that's my my final vibe. Like, I would definitely watch it again. And I would like to oh, see yeah. it done live, like, on the stage or something, minus some of the more problematic elements or, like, a reworking. I think it'll be kind of fun. Yeah, so they actually do have a musical version of this as well. Yeah, I saw. I haven't actually watched any, though. Like, I've never actually gone out to, like, see it. I wonder what that experience would be like. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I, I, this movie, I I appreciate it. I'm, I'm really glad I checked it out for this podcast. And, it has, again, it has downsides, which we, we talked about. But the way that it, the way that it brings us into... These characters' lives in such a you know, in, in just bright manner and just you know so lovingly, and just, mm-hmm. and, and you know I've said over and over again you know it's heartfelt, heartwarming, and all of that you know it, and it still applies. I feel like particularly the just like the whole subplot of Tick's family and then his son and just how it's just how accepting his son is of of mm-hmm. his dad. Yeah, it really, it, it really is great to watch that. And again, we need, we need, we need things like that in this current climate. You know, a good reminder of hey, you know, as you're saying, you know, kids are accepting. Yeah. Generally, and and the actors, uh, the actors are great. I should say also that apparently, uh, for the part of Tick, originally uh, Rupert Everett 
has been the one who was up on like the top casting choice for Tick. Mm. And then for Adam was uh, Jason Donovan. However, at a pre-production casting meeting held at Cannes, the two of them actually didn't really get along with each other and were found to be open, oh. openly hostile towards the production staff. And in light of this, it was readily agreed that they would not be suitable for the parts. But Jason Donovan did go on to play Tick in the West End musical adaptation. Mm. And then, oh, Conan first. Conan first was also up in the uh, running, also, but was unsuccessful to play Tick. <laughs> and initially, Tim Curry had been considered to play Bernadette. I love Tim Curry. Um, I, I don't know. I think Terrence Stamp definitely put um, his stamp on this role, though, and I, I couldn't have seen it any other way. Like, definitely. I'm happy they didn't go with with Tim Curry for that. Yeah. Even though I, I mean, I literally love Tim Curry, but mm, I feel like this was a good casting. I'll agree with you there, but also add yes, Tim Curry is fantastic. I I I I, I watched Clue recently and the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and yeah. it's just like yeah, splendid. And those movies just like oozing charm. Have you seen him play the Gromble? Uh, no. It's random. So, like, he voices the cartoon character, the Gromble, from Ah Real Monsters from back in the day, and he does a great job with that, too. Okay. He wears, like, red stilettos, and he wears, like, pearls. He's a monster, but he's fabulous because he's Tim Curry. Okay. <laughs> okay, interesting. I have to take that in mind, then. Okay. And then, and then it was Terrence Stamp who suggested Phil Hunter for the role of Bob. And apparently he took on the role uh, of Bob without even reading the script. Or being told anything, anything else about the movie, really, about other than just, like, what he knew, basically, about his character. Mm. <laughs> Which is, I love hearing that. But, again, if you were listening to this podcast, listeners, and you haven't seen the movie yet, so, I highly recommend seeing it. Oh, yeah, 100%. If you're a rebel, still go watch it, because one dimension of it is the visual aspect. It's so visually pleasing, like... Even with you knowing like the bits of the story, you'd still have a great time. Yes, yes. Oh, also, Bill Hunter apparently was filming Muriel's wedding and Priscilla at the same time, each requiring him to oh, have wow. different lengths hair, beard, and to be in different parts of the country. Oh, damn. Superstar. Oh. All right, well, that's our whole breakdown of Priscilla. Yay! For this third episode of the month, of five months. Now, if we don't have any more songs to offer on the movie, I think we can segue onward to Good Word. And that's the segment where each of us gets to recommend something. A book, a movie, a TV show, music. Anything we want to recommend for our listeners. So, Ryan, what is your Good Word? I would recommend, <clears throat> excuse me, especially in relation to this movie, that you check out Death Drop Gorgeous. It is on Shudder. It is a horror movie centering a drag bar. And the it's very schlocky, it's very campy. I think some people wouldn't, you know, like it, they wouldn't get it, but it's to me one of my favorite um, new queer horror movies that have come out in the last three years because I think it came out in twenty twenty one, if I remember correctly. But definitely, Death Drop, gorgeous. Okay, I, I've been, I've actually been hearing about that movie quite a bit, and I haven't seen it yet, but it's fun. It looks like it'll be up my alley. It has the same level of, like, theatricality as, like, Priscilla. The cinematography isn't, like, as strong, but it's an indie flick, so I'm not, I don't really, that doesn't bother me. Usually when the cinematography is, like, a little bit lower, like, it's whatever to me. It's very campy, very funny, so. A lot of drag queens, a lot of horror. (laughs) Win-win. Nice, nice. Now, for my good word, I'm going to give Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which is... An anime, it's an anime that I finished recently, and it's like one of the 
most popular animes out there. I finished it recently, and I just really had a, a great time with it. And it's funny how this is how this show can be so moving and so devastating, but also so funny as well, so lighthearted. And literally a lot of times was leaving me laughing. And then they also contrast with the times where it's just breaking my heart. It's just like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching characters and deal certain challenges. They're so grueling. Oh no, the pain. And, and I can see why it has such a, great, such a, a highly regarded reputation as being like, you know, one, of, one of the best animes out there. And just even like the, you know, the animation holds up, the, the fight scenes, and the vocal performances, just, and the world building of the alchemy in this, in this show, the magical system. It, it was all great to consume. And, oh, and the characters, so many enthralling characters too in this cast, like Ed and Al, Colonel Roy Mustang, Winry, Izumi Curtis, the Armstrong family, Scar, just so many characters, and even the villains, you know, these very threatening antagonists that the heroes have to fight against, but they're also, they're also sympathetic, you know, at some point. They have their human facets that make them all the more complex, more layered. So yeah, the character is definitely one of the positive points of this show. So if anyone wants to, you know, check out more anime, definitely Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And I should also say there are two shows. So there's Full Metal Alchemist and then Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Mm. So I didn't watch the first one. That's the original. I watched the reboot of the first show that came after it. Oh, okay. Do you have to watch the original to understand uh, Brotherhood? I don't believe so, no. I was advised to skip the first episode of Brotherhood, mm. actually, because I guess, I guess people were like, oh, the first episode handles like the exposition in a really clunky mm. way, and it's best to just skip that first episode and then just move on with the rest of the episodes of Brotherhood, which is interesting. And I haven't seen that first episode yet, but it might someday just see how it progresses, see how it affects my experience. But and then also Full Metal Alchemist, the original show, I watched that as well. But for now, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, that's my good word. Nice. Well, now I've given out good words, and now Ryan, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show. And this was such a blast to have you on for for five months. Thank you so much. And now. You can plug yourself, promote yourself, but can people find you online? So you can find me mostly on TikTok nowadays at Brother Ghoulish. And you can also buy my book, There's Something Wrong in Morrington County, um, on Amazon.com. Nice, nice. And as for my socials, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore says critic. You can follow my personal accounts on Twitter, GoodPods, StoryGraph, Letterboxd, and TikTok at Arthur underscore and 18. You can find me on Goodreads at Arthur Howbull. If you want to email me, you can do that at email twocentscritic at yahoo.com. You can also check out my blog at twocentscritic.com. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, GoodPods, all of those services. And make sure you do the ratings and reviews especially because they're very important to us, any podcasters, to help move us up the charts. <laughs> All right, awesome. But thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. This was again so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, yeah for <gasps> real. And until next time, stay healthy and stay strong.